Okay, um, let's do this. This is episode one of um, Diary of a Product Founder. For those of you listening right now, welcome to the podcast. Uh, my name is Isaac and I am a 23-year-old um, product-focused software developer. Um, every Sunday I will share my weekly diary with you, slash summary, um, giving you the behind-the-scenes journey of someone trying to make a mark in the world by creating products that people like just truly love using. In terms of focus, um, like podcasts will be about startups generally and products that I'm building more specifically, and I'll be able to just I'll be able to take you through everything like from like technical implementation of the software product to things like sales and distribution. So I think this should be fun. So enough of the preamble. <laughs> so first and foremost, I'm I'm building a product called Conduit, which is um, product management software for self-managed engineering teams the reason i chose this to work on is um, i used to work as a product manager and this was like what i noticed like while working there was that the tooling for product management is generally woeful like there they existed a tool called aha which is just like generally terrible if you want to google it it's a h a exclamation mark <laughs> weird name for a product as well but um yeah like that was like really really bad and um i noticed that there was like a lot of tools for like issue management but not necessarily for product management trying to like decide what to build and why and i always felt like um tools like trello were maybe a bit too like general i never liked them so <laughs> I, I guess that's what that's why i'm building conduit but um yeah in, in terms of like where the focus has been this week maybe if i rewind back to um maybe sunday um, I'm entered in this um, Pioneer competition. So there's a, a website called pioneer.app and it's essentially a place where you can compete with other um, individuals who are like building different products. Maybe they're working on different research projects. They're just like building something creative and every week you have like this sort of um, poll or this sort of like weekly vote where you get pitted against one another. So every Sunday I need to actually like do this and um, this weekly summary of like things that went well and things that like didn't go so well and just through doing the weekly summary this week um i i looked at the leaderboard so you can actually see the leaderboard so you can see who's like um who's been successful who's uh, doing really well and i saw an app called to desktop.com and um, so like this is really interesting because like what the app does is it's essentially a a wrapper which allows you to like import like a web address URL. So like if I took Conduit's web URL, I'll be able to like import that into the app and then just have the app generate um, a complementary desktop, Windows and Linux app. So the product's been built by a guy called Dave. So um, after seeing the product and like seeing that Dave was from Ireland, I decided to like take a, take a wonder onto the website and then um, like I think this is particularly interesting because like the first thing I thought through seeing it was whoa this is exactly what I need because I've been getting more and more um like requests from people about like whether I was thinking about building a desktop app making it feel more like how slack feels to use you know people just like install it locally and then you don't have like the distractions of like tabs of like or like toolbars etc and then, like, just through seeing the website, it, it just became, like, really evident that, like, oh, um, yeah, this this could be something that I could probably use. 
which is interesting because it made me reflect on conduit and it made me like really think about like huh you know from my landing page am i actually am i targeting like a set persona effectively so that they have that same aha moment of oh you know this is actually you know something i'd like to use um like in terms of numbers right now i've got like maybe 53 people signed up but maybe about five of them i use in the app like um regularly which is a, a good sign so um i'm just i'm just trying to like evoke that feeling of like oh yeah this is interesting and i, I think the the way that two desktop like did it pretty well um i'm looking at that landing page now it looks like they've actually changed this well for me when i was looking at the landing page before it oh no here it is so you, you can actually see like how much it would cost to build um, these desktop apps in-house without using the two desktop um, application generator, essentially. So like <laughs> the founder like really breaks it down into like all of these different like costs and stuff, hours to create an initial app, hours to create the auto update server, the monthly maintenance developer hours, code sign-in certificates, and it essentially like spits out a value of like, a little, like a little close to like seven grand like i don't i don't know if like this is like completely true or not <laughs> i mean like may, maybe it is maybe it isn't um but like it did kind of like bring focus into like oh you know do i really want to commit all of the time now to learn how to build um native desktop apps when i have other tins that are higher up the priority so i just i just thought that was re- really interesting so i thought I'd, like that's why I'm, I'm talking about it like now and I actually have decided to use it at least on a trial basis to see like how it feels. And um, yeah, I suppose like through using it on a trial basis, I used it for Conduit. So I I downloaded myself a local Mac version and it looks pretty cool. Yeah, like it works. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. But like this brings me on to like the next point because like when I downloaded it on desktop, um, like that's when I that's when I noticed that like you know Conduit wasn't as performant as um, I'd like it to be, so I could tell that the interactions were like a little less snappy. Um, I'd click on like a, a button, it, w- it would take a while for it to like add a new product to your you know product list. I would change the you know the release date for one of the features. It would take like half a second for it to like toggle over, and I think this was like more evident on a desktop app because you're kind of like used to native apps having like really fast performance and um yeah like <laughs> the performance wasn't great so like that took me down into this like entirely different rabbit hole of trying to figure out okay shit um th- the product isn't actually that performant and um, what can i do to improve that make it feel like a lot more snappier for um different users who want to use the product so i learned about maybe two tins primarily um, one tin is called optimistic updating and another is called caching. So I spent maybe two days just kind of like researching these two options, trying to figure out um, which one would be better for the app. Optimistic updates for reference. And um, what it does is anytime you make a change on the client side. So like, let's imagine that you're, you've logged onto the app and like you're on the actual like main like products channel or the main dashboard window. If I make a change to an item on that channel, then with optimistic updates, I will make that change instantly before I even send a request to the server, which is hosted somewhere else. So like, like in a sense, it's kind of like 
you're, you're being like really optimistic that the request that you're sending to the server is going to come back positive. So instead, what you do is you just make the change instantly and say, okay, I've made this change. If the server wants to report back that like, oh, wait, you know, this change actually hasn't been made, then only at that point will I reverse the change that I made in the client. So you can see like it's, it's a tiny, tiny bit risky because um, if you have a product that maybe isn't as, <laughs> isn't as, um, what's the word I'm looking for? like bug free <laughs> then you you might have situations in which you know the the ui of the app is like constantly like changing to one thing and then changing back and then like you have like frustrated users being like hey you know what what's going on over here i think an article that kind of swayed me towards looking at it as something that could be um like quite a good solution is there's this article and it said that like you know 97 to 99 percent of you know api requests that you make will probably come out successful so um like it's a it's a small price to pay so yeah I, I spent like a day like i said like investigating this i um dug into the code base i picked like i suppose like niche areas in the app where i was like okay you know what let me trial optimistic updates and um yeah i just i found it was it was difficult to implement just with how i, I set up my app i mean i could have implemented it but it, w- it would have taken um quite a bit of code to do and it was just like maybe like bloated the code base and like once again like i didn't even i wasn't too sure whether this was going to be like the right solution so um yeah i I spent the day kind of like trialing that out before just deciding to revert revert my commit or the changes that i had made and uh, instead try something else which is what brings me to cashin i I call it cacon people call it cashin so i I assume if you're listening you you probably call it cashin so cashin so um, this technique is, yeah, how do I explain that? Yeah, ca- okay, so with caching, what, what is essentially happening is, let's say I load a page for the first time. And so when I load the page, a request is made to, the data, to a server, which then interacts with a database somewhere. And then that server sends back information about the page I just loaded. Okay, so let's say I load a page, it gets sent to the server, goes to the database, comes back to um, my client or my browser. Let's say I make another like reload of that same page. So nothing has changed in this page. I make another reload. Then does it make sense for the, for the, um, for the request to be made all the way to the server again, all the way to the database, and then back to my browser? Like that, like that's essentially like what, what caching wants to fix. What, what caching essentially does is it says, okay, if something has been, if some resource has been like accessed recently and like hasn't changed in like a meaningful like time span, then instead of going all the way back to the database and like querying all these different rows and columns of data, instead you should just query this cache and this cache will um, return that data on your behalf. And y- like you, you might think so, oh, okay, instead of it going to a database, you're just going to a cache instead. But the crazy thing is that cache, um, caches, or at least Redis, which is the um, cache I'm using, um, it just like has incredibly fast like read times. So instead of it taking maybe 50 milliseconds for it to go to the server, to the database and back, it'll instead take 10 milliseconds for it to go to the server and then to the cache instead. So like that was the other option of like, okay, instead of doing optimistic updates, Maybe what I'll do is I'll just implement caching into my app and I'll just say that if 
some resource has been like used frequently, I mean, recently or updated recently, then instead of pulling that same resource from the database, we should instead cache it so that if someone else wants to access that resource, which hasn't changed yet, then they should instead get the cached version instead of the database version. So, um, yeah, I, I you know played around with this for a day. Um, like, first four hours, I tried implementing it. Like, it wasn't really working for me. It was, it was a little bit confusing. Um, I scrapped all my changes, <laughs> um, went to have a shower. In the shower, I had my aha moment of, like, how I was actually going to implement it. Went back to the code base and then spent another five to six hours just implementing caching for the app. So to to kind of like illustrate like how <laughs> how important it is for conduit in particular so when you first load the app you you go into a product channel and in this product channel you can see a visualization of all of the products that your um workspace currently has all of the features that associate with that product all of the tasks that are associated with those features and all of the releases now all of this information is populated from one request to a server so what's, what's essentially happening is a request is being made to the server. The server is then, <coughs> sorry, the server is then um, querying the database saying, hey, DB, give me the list of all of the products that belong to this workspace. Once it has all the products, it then goes back and queries the DB saying, oh, wait, wait, sorry, give me a list of all of the features that belong to each of these products. So let, let's say I have five products on my workspace. Um, then one request is made to the database to get those five products. And then for each product, another request is made to the database to get the associated features. But then at the same time, each product has comments as well. So another request is made for each product to get all of the associated comment data with that product. And like this continues on and on. So for each feature, and there's always going to be more features than there is products. So let's say there's 50 features. For each feature, get me all of the tasks that belong to those features. So like, it, it very quickly becomes um, like like a lot of like database operations are happening in that simple request. So it's like no surprise that it takes about a second or a half a second for that data to come back from the server when I make that initial request. So instead, with caching, what I've done is I've said, okay, make that initial request and like have it take one second. But once, once that initial request is made, then cache everything. Cache the products, cache the features, cache the tasks. And only when a specific update has happened to a specific task or a specific feature, should you then update that singular feature by going back to the database and then like sending that updated information back to the cache. So then what you can imagine happens in this case is I make a request to the server and um, it, it says, okay, you know, get me a list of all of the products. But before it accesses the database, it checks the cache to see, well, has any of the products changed? No? Okay, shit, I'm just going to go to the cache then and just get a list of all the products from the cache. So I've already reduced the time to access that resource from like 20 milliseconds to like one millisecond. And then the same process continues. Okay, for all these products that I've just gotten from the cache, get me all of the features. And once again, it'll check, okay, well, l you know, are any of these features in a cache? Okay, for for most what i'm trying to say is for the majority of like use cases or for the majority of like um like accesses like nothing will have changed so most of the information that you want will be in the cache i would almost wager that like on any given like reload of the page or like refresh that 95% of that data is like still um unchanged and is actually in the cache which means that you can access it much faster 
so like after implementing this for um conduit i noticed like the improvements immediately it was like insane so um i'm I'm gonna like keep on going forward with trying to optimize the app in different ways and um, i'm definitely going to use redis and caching that technique a lot more and i'll see maybe in the future there's places for optimistic updates to um kind of shine because like caching still does take a little bit of time but it's much faster than the way i would have done it before so yeah like that was like a big issue i was kind of facing this week and i think that's a pretty okay solution for it um all right other things that happened is um i redesigned the landing page so previously the landing page was just a um it was just like a, a very simple page which had on to the left of it like a little description about the product and on the right there was like a little image and like that that was it that that was all i was doing for the landing page like up until now um decided to redo the landing page so like there's another section that kind of focuses on the products um um benefits so like why you may actually want to use the product <clears throat> and for this i'm just kind of like highlighting that like oh you know you get a desktop experience you know it's built for generation slack you have multiple workspaces that you can use and it's like real time. You get a real time interface. It's designed for speed. <laughs> well, it's designed for speed now. And then um, you're able to like collaborate faster with like this real time workflow. So like those are the sort of benefits that I've listed. And then under that, this is the more important piece. Um, I listed initial pricing options. So I'm still playing around with this a lot, trying to figure out what's the right price point for people. For now, I want to price conduit per member per month so this is i wanted to essentially be two plans well two plus plans i wanted to be a starter plan which is f- essentially free so i wanted to be free to use for um anyone who wants to create their own workspace but they are limited to four members so they can't have more than four members in any given workspace the second they want to have five members is when they'll have to um move to the next plan which i've decided to call professional and I've decided to, to, to price this at $8 per month. Um, so let's say you want to upgrade it from starter to professional. It, it means you're going to be coughing out $40 per month. And like, I, I don't know like how I, how I feel about that yet, but I, I think it is a right, a right price point because I looked at Slack and I looked at what Slack charged and it was $8 as well. So <laughs> I'm, I'm going to start there and um, I'll amend it based on feedback. But more importantly, like what what I've included, like under the professional, just like as a little one liner at the end, I've just like added this question of like, oh, buying for your company, then contact sales. <laughs> contact sales just means contact me. So it'll just like send me an email. But the idea, dear, the idea is that maybe most companies will um, actually just want to like negotiate on the price. Like I actually, I heard like this is very com- um, common in SaaS based businesses that like. Um, you know, there's always like a bit of wiggle room. So let's say a company has 20 um, employees, or they have like 20 members that they want to use, they want to use. They want to use conduit. They have 20 members that they want to use conduit for. Jesus. <laughs> and then like maybe we can um, agree on a price point that makes sense for them, but isn't exactly eight dollars per month. Maybe it's maybe it comes down at seven dollars per month per member. So um, I just included that option in case. Um, those um, scenarios arise and I'm pretty confident that they that they will 
So yeah, I, I updated the pricing options. I still haven't implemented Stripe billing. So like for right now, it says start free fourteen day trial. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna like implement Stripe billing within the next fourteen days. So by the time if anyone starts the free fourteen day trial for the professional plan, by the time their trial runs up, like billing will be implemented and then they'll <laughs> they'll start being billed. And like that's just how I, I I ship products. I'll just like ship like a very quick MVP, and then um, I'll iterate on it from there. Um, yeah, like right now I'm recording this on my phone as well, so there's that too. Okay, so okay, what else happened this week? Um, yeah, I made I suppose other minor product changes. This is just really based on feedback that I got. Before you could have a feature, um, each each feature could be allocated an owner so someone who owns the feature each task could be allocated an owner but that wasn't the case for products and like well i've just learned just through feedback from different people is that like oh you know most products like actually let me go into stripes website for a second um most companies will have like a range of different products for example stripe has payments billing connect atlas radar issuing terminal platforms marketplaces pricing global guides so that's like 11 products. So most larger or small to medium enterprises will actually be in more than one tin. So it makes sense for each product to also have an associated owner. So that's just a, a quick change I made to the app um, today just to allow for that. Um, cool. And yeah, last, I suppose, relevant piece of information for this week. And I'll, I'll try to keep these to 30 minutes. Last relevant piece of information is... I've applied for, well, I haven't applied. I'm in the process of applying for phase two of this local incubator. So there's this incubator in Ireland where I'm based. It's called New Frontiers. And it's essentially like a six month, um, yeah, a six month incubator where they'll provide you with a cash stipend of 15,000 euro. So it comes down at 2,500 euro per month. But this is like non-equity financing. This is like a stipend just for you to you know take those six months and try to get to profitability with your product so that they're looking towards like you know kind of software-based businesses or businesses that have the potential to be like high growth startups so i'm looking at it as something that i might want to apply for the closing date for applications is in three days i started the application this morning but i, I really i really dislike and doing applications for these sort of things because like the questions you get asked just seem so oh you know give me your revenue projections for the next five years it's like what i have no idea what my revenue projections are going to be or i don't know you know give me your sales and distribution strategy that you're going to be implementing it's like what it's like these things are going to like change what i'm focused on is building a product that people just really enjoy using and then i'll figure out the rest as i go and just trying to like be alert for different opportunities so, I don't know, maybe I'm being cynical. I think doing the application will give me a, a good chance to maybe actually just think about those different areas. But I just I just dislike doing it. Like, I really do. <laughs> so, um, fingers crossed that um, actually gets done. Uh, no, I'll, I'll do it, I'll do it. I mean, reluctantly, but I'll do it. Okay, so for next week, the focus will be on... The focus will be on one beginning to implement stripe billing i've never used the stripe api service before so i reckon this might might take me um a little while stripe is really popular though so i'm sure there'll be like a lot of user guides on like how to actually like get up get up to speed quite quickly so i want to implement stripe billing 
um, I want to refactor my code. So I have a front end and a back end, and they both need to be refactored badly. <laughs> the front end is being slowly converted to TypeScript as opposed to JavaScript. It just allows me to catch more errors before I actually like, compile the app and run it locally. Um, the back end is... I'm, I'm not going to convert the back end to TypeScript. I'm, I actually... I don't think it needs to be converted, at least now, but I do want to like refactor it um, a lot because there's a lot of reusable code that can probably be put into different um, helper functions that exist outside of um, the files that they're currently in. So that's what I want to do on the back end. And one other thing I'd like, I need to start focusing on is just best practices with regards to deployment. Um, because I have like my back end and my front end both exist on different code bases. My back end uses Heroku um, to deploy, while my front end uses Netlify. So you can imagine, like when I actually make a change, when I make an update to production, what I need to do is I need to um, push the code to Heroku first, and then I push the code to Netlify, and then try to like sync the deployment. Man, like I'm doing it manually at the minute, so I will literally like. I'd go on to Heroku, I'll wait for it to build, I'll wait for it to say it's deployed. The second it says it's deployed, I will then click on Netlify and I, I would then deploy it. And like that, like that is not sustainable. <laughs> it's not a good practice at all. Um, so I, I need to like figure out um, a better way to sync, to sync my deployment best, best practices. And like I also noticed, because I, I pushed the deployment today, just even before this podcast, it was about the product owner change. And another consideration I need to start taking into account is because I have these desktop apps, the desktop apps will only be updated with the push change if a user exits the desktop app. So let's say a user is using the app while it while it gets while the updates get pushed. The user must first exit the app and then restart it, and only then will they see um like the new features or the new updates that have been added. So I need to be like really careful with this. Because in the change I made today, I added some more middleware on the back end that says, okay, you know, for any new product that's created, make sure that there's an associated product owner. Like, don't let that field be blank anymore. But on my on my local, I mean, on my laptop here, because I have Conduit, like, installed on desktop, I just tried to add a product because I was like, wait a second. I just tried to add a product, and I couldn't <laughs> because it said, wait, you know, you don't have, like, an associated user ID here. And the reason I didn't have an associate, I didn't have an associated user ID, is because the change hadn't been pushed to my local machine, and I couldn't like actually physically set the owner. So I actually had to just restart my desktop app, load it up again, and then I was able to add products. So like like right now I'm playing like a very risky game with how I deploy. There's only about you know 53 users using it right now, so I'm not too worried that like that would impact too many people. But definitely for the future, I need to like be a lot more careful about like wait, how am I actually going to sync these changes to make sure people get it on time and it doesn't break the applications that, that they're using? So, yeah, and I keep, like, keep, you know, keep in context, like, I've been, like, developing, like, full-time, really, only for six months, so I'm learning a lot of these best practices firsthand. If there's anyone listening to this who has maybe more experience with code <laughs> or, like, professional software development, um, feel free to you know, help a brother out, you know what I'm saying? Okay, God, I think I think that's it. I think that's my week. Um, yeah, you know, give me feedback on 
the podcast. Maybe am I like too close to the microphone? Like I, I'm using my phone. I say microphone, but I, I really mean my phone. Am I too close to the phone? Um, am I context switching too much, jumping from like one topic to another to another? I, I live on feedback. So if you have any feedback at all for this, um, please give it to me. But I, I think that's it. Yeah, this is a good take. Thank you for listening. And I will see you next week. Roll the outro music.